uh, somebody had to leave early, and I wanted to uh, wanted to give them the synopsis of what we're talking about today. So they got the uh, they got the ninety second version. You guys get the ninety minute version, huh? What? <laughs> All right. So before we get started, uh, there's something I don't want our church to lose sight of, and that is that. I'm sorry. Hopefully this is, is it working out? Is it better? Is it calming? Okay, there we go. There's something I don't want our church to lose sight of, and that's the fact that this house primarily is a house of prayer. Amen. That, and that's, that's just biblical. Uh, we love to sing songs, but our songs are prayers, Amen. right? They're just prayers with a melody and a beat and some decent bass playing. <laughs> And um, our sermon, whenever we're teaching you guys, it's not a prayer. It's a lesson, right? It's a teaching, which also took place in the temple, right? Per God's will, teaching took place in the temple, but it was never called a house of teaching, was it? It was called a house of prayer. And so we always end our teaching with prayer. And I uh, I just want to invite you to take that time seriously. My dad instilled it in my brain. Uh, and my dad's not a super Christian guy. He believes in God. He trusts in God. Um, but he instilled it in my brain that whenever I took communion and I went back to my chair, that was a moment with God that I needed to have. Absolutely. And I'd block out my brothers next to me, block out my mom and my dad, block out the people in front of me who smelled weird, and it was just a time with me and God. And, and that, was, that was solid. And he did not let me stray from that. Every time we were at church and I took communion, it was come back to my pew because we were coming to the Catholic church and kneel down on the little padded pew. And that was just my time with God. And it's the same way after we preach a lesson or after we teach you guys. Or you need to take that moment between you and God. And you need to turn this house into a house of prayer. If that means coming up here to the front, fantastic. We have a prayer team of awesome warriors, and they will fight with you. Yeah? Not with you. They will fight side by side in your favor. <laughs> or if it's just you at your seat having a moment with God. Uh, don't hear a lesson say, man, that was awesome, and then walk out to go to lunch. Okay? It's a house of prayer. Let's make it that. All right. Another thing. We have tried to cultivate a, a, a prophetic culture. We want people to hear from God. We want people to obey as they deliver a word to another person. And you're a part of that. And We need you guys to step out and do that. To step out, hear from God, an encouraging word, an uplifting word, an accountability word, if you're a trusted, close friend. And we need you to have the obedience to share that word. And we've cultivated that culture, yeah? But I want you to realize that if you want to be a hearer and repeater of God's word, you have to first be a student of God's word. (laughs) Right? You can't just be going around delivering words and then you don't have the filter in place. (laughs) You know what's going to happen? You'll be delivering false words and you won't even know it. You're liable to hurt somebody's heart. So if you want to participate in the prophetic culture that we've tried to protect and establish, 
Um, we need you guys to be in the Word every day. Think about this. If you have a seven-day week and you read your Bible two of those days, all right, I mean, that's, if you're getting really good deep teaching, okay. Uh, I would prefer that you're in the Bible every day. Amen. Not just me, but the Bible would prefer that you're in the Bible every day. <laughs> right? Seven-day week, you're in the Bible two of those days. Let's say over that seven-day week, you give seven prophetic words, everything from just a supernatural download to, I just want to pass you this Bible verse that I think might touch your heart. Those are all the, the full range. Out of your seven prophetic words, I would probably count on two of those being accurate because you spend about two days in the Word. Now, there's not some formula in here that substantiates that. I just kind of made that up, all right? But it's a good way to think, is it not? Yes. Seven-day week, you give seven words, but you were only in the Word two of those days? You better count on only two of your words being accurate. I received a word from somebody. I received two words from people. And it was in, within about a 90-day span, give or take. And the first word that I received was from somebody that I had trusted as a, as a prophetic person. And it was an email, you know, and it was about 400 words long. It was a good long word. Really well written, beautiful, very encouraging, and just nice words. And it was actually for Belinda and I, and uh, we really appreciated it. Uh, but both of us were kind of like, I don't really see how this applies. We'd want it to apply, for sure. It was a good word, but we don't really exactly feel how it fits. And so we were just kind of leaving it up to God. You know, and just maybe, maybe uh, you know, in a few weeks' time, it'll make a lot more sense. And that happens a lot of times. Um, since I found out that person was not really in the Word very much, and there was kind of a reason why that beautiful, beautiful uh, prophetic Word didn't really hit me that hard. I wouldn't have called it a false teaching, right? I wouldn't have called it a heresy. But it also wasn't really impactful in my life. Now, the second word I received within that same period of time was from somebody who I know that they run their life very well. I know that they run their home even better, and I know that they run their walk with God even better than those. Right? They've got it right. They've got it together, and they're always in the Word, and I know that. But I never really thought about that person as a prophetic person. Yeah? They weren't the bold type to step out. and I'm going to speak into your life. This person wrote Psalm 45.1 on a post-it note and handed it to me. He said, I feel like this is a word for you. And you know, that word, I, I went and they actually looked it up for me at the, on the spot. I took that note, I posted it at my workplace above my desk to remind me every day of what my calling is. Because it's not making videos. <laughs> that word from somebody who was in the word was one of the most powerful words I've received in the past 10 years. I think there's only one word I can think of off the top of my head that was more powerful, and that was before I married Belinda. Somebody came and gave me a word that said, God has given you something, and he will not take it away. I said, score. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, my friend. <laughs> you guys see what I'm getting at here? If you're in the word, you can give powerful prophetic words. If you're not in the Word, you can try as you might, and it just may not mean anything to somebody. Okay? Amen. All right, that's not about anything that we're talking about today, but it needed to be discussed. Today we are talking about relationship rings. 
I wonder if somebody knows how to run the PowerPoint back there. Kyle and Sarah both are with the kids today. I only have one slide, and it can stay up the whole time, and it's just a good reference. So you all know a lot of people, right? I look out, and you know what I see? A lot of popular folks. You guys got a lot of friends. Look, Amber's over here like, I don't know about that. <laughs> you guys know a lot of people. And you know what? A lot of people see greatness in you guys. And they want, um, they want what you have to offer. And you have to be careful in the way that you let people access you. Because what can happen is if you let too many people come and, you know, they're like those seagulls in Finding Nemo. How many of you guys have ever seen Finding Nemo? Right? If you have greatness within you, and all of you do, then you know what's going to happen? All of the people in the world who, who are just craving intimacy with somebody, right? They're going to come around you like, mine, 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 peck, peck. And they all, you know what they all want? Just a little bit. Yeah, every single one of them. I just want five minutes. Yeah, I just want a couple bucks. Well, you know, when you got 50 people coming up to you, you only want a couple of bucks. Next thing you know, you can't pay your light bill. <laughs> you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Um, your capacity to minister to the people around you, and make no mistake, every single person in this room is a minister. Let's just establish that right now. I don't care how young of a Christian you are. I don't care how much you don't know God. Somebody needs something from you. And it's your job to figure out the best way to give it. This is just the example that Christ gave us. He took 12 people that were just random people, picked out by the Holy Spirit. Man, he turned them into world changers. Do you think he can't turn you into a world changer? Better believe it. You better believe it. But you've got to learn how to manage yourself. You've got to learn how to manage your relationships so that you can be a powerful minister. So what happens here, if you look at this graphic here, there's you in the middle, you and God, and we're going to talk about this really in depth. And then as you go out, you know, there's one person, three people, five people, seven people, nine, twelve, seventeen. What happens is those ones in the middle have got to be the strongest. Okay? Now what happens if they're not the strongest, and you're giving all kind of priority to the 17s out here, it's like gravity. Those 17 people will literally collapse on you and you will be piled up with relationships that you don't know what to do with and you know what's going to get lost in that fray your destiny so so managing relationships is serious business guys i don't know about you but i don't want my destiny to be lost so there's a structure and it's it's very similar to jesus's life and we're going to talk about just exactly the differences but this is a holy structure of how you can manage the people that you know and their access to you. And it's not just so that you can uh, not have to fulfill a bunch of obligations. Yeah? This is not your get out of helping somebody move ticket. <laughs> this is to help you grow. This is to protect your destiny. All right? So Jesus. What kind of structure did Jesus have? Jesus cultivated... These relationships in his life. How come I always want to do a software update as soon as I'm preaching a sermon? (laughs) 
He cultivated the one, which was him and God. We kind of have that split between you and God and you and a one. He cultivated the three, which was James, Peter, and John. And they were closer to him than any of the other disciples. And then he cultivated the twelve, which was the remaining nine disciples. And then there was like Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary, and Martha. And they were, they were women that traveled with and were very close friends to Jesus. So he cultivated the one relationship, the three relationships, and the twelve relationships. And we've split the twelve into five and seven, and that's, they're pretty similar. And we'll explain the differences. Now, why do we have a different system than Jesus? That's a good question, isn't it? Jesus was here to save humanity <laughs> and establish an eternal kingdom. He, had a, he, was, he was a one-mission guy. I'm here to do this. It's going to take me three years to do it. When I'm done, it's going to be finished by my blood, and I'm going to heaven. And I will intercede from there. So while I'm here, it's A, save humanity. B, set up the kingdom. Now, we do not have that calling in our life, do we? We're called to represent Jesus. We're called to represent his kingdom. But in addition, we're called to take care of our families. And we're not the son of God, which means we're probably going to need a little bit more accountability than he had. Right? I mean, he was Jesus. He was incredible. I will not be naive enough to think that I am as strong spiritually as Jesus. I hope to get there. Until I do, I'm going to need some accountability partners. All right? So, so we don't only have to worry about legacy like Jesus did, because we do have to worry about legacy as well. We have to also worry about maintaining the establishment of the, of the kingdom of God. But then we also have to worry about taking care of our family. Yeah, we have to worry about keeping ourselves sharp. So we have a slightly different system, okay? All right, let's talk about... <clears throat> that middle. You plus God. That is the most important relationship in your life. Yep. Most of the sermon today is about that relationship. <laughs> You're like, but Matt, look, there's a big graphic. There's all kinds of different rings we've got to talk about. Now, that's the biggest one. That is the most important relationship in your life. Okay? That's the relationship that keeps all the other relationships in place. God keeps all of your life in order. There's a physics term. It's called a singularity. And we'll get into it in a second. But a singularity uh, it can only be accessed by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Jesus. And what it is, is it's just you and God becoming one, right? It's no longer a you plus God. It's a you and God are one. And that can only be done through the blood of Christ. You've got to believe in the price that he has paid on the cross. You've got to believe in the way that it's not only canceled out your sin, but it's brought you into the Holy of Holies. And just as he prayed that you would be one with God, that you become one with God. Hallelujah. Yeah? How many of you guys have ever cooked pancakes? 
you got your powder over here, and you got your like buttermilk over here. Always use buttermilk, my friends. <laughs> when you mix those two things together, there is no pulling them apart. This is a singularity. It is you and God pulled together in a way that you can never be pulled apart. All right? In physics, a singularity is the center of a black hole. I did some interesting reading this week, guys, let me tell you. <laughs> I don't get into science. Most of the time I kind of scoff at it a little bit. I'm like, how could they know that? <laughs> That's generally what I say when I hear science. That's like always my default answer. <laughs> how could they know that? <laughs> it's like Napoleon Dynamite. Like, like, anybody could even know that. <laughs> At the center of our, of our Milky Way galaxy, and you know what? They've found out that this is basically true for almost every galaxy out there, that the center of the galaxy, if you just picture the galaxy, right, it looks like a big, like, toilet flushing, doesn't it? And it's all kind of spiraling around. Well, at the center of it is a black hole. And our black hole is called, is called Sagittarius uh, A-star. SGR A star, and it's like a little A asterisk. So the, our A star is a, is a big old black hole. It's like, I don't know, like 17 million miles wide or something. And it has a gravitational pull that keeps our entire galaxy in order. It keeps, it, literally the way our planets orbit around the sun, our sun is orbiting around Sagittarius A star. And it's at a pace of about like 250 million years to go one time around or something like that. I want you to imagine that image of the Milky Way galaxy. And I want you to just sort of kind of lay it over this graphic. All right, and this is kind of the foundation of how we're going to talk about things today. And at the center of this graphic is a black hole, and at the center of that black hole is a singularity. It is a mathematical conundrum. They, they cannot define it. They can prove that it exists. It's absolutely proven that at the center of a black hole is something called a singularity and they have no idea what it is. It is an infinitely small speck of mass that has enough gravitational pull to keep the entire galaxy in order. How, how small is infinitely small if they, if they took it and they blew it up a trillion times, our most powerful microscope still couldn't see it. It is a mathematical impossibility to define. Physicists call it like a Fort Knox, impregnable. They say human minds will never understand it. That's, that's literally what they're saying. They say if you want to figure out a singularity, you're going to have to go beyond general relativity, which was Einstein's masterpiece. You're going to have to go beyond quantum mechanics, which was beyond Einstein's time. <laughs> you got to go past all that just to figure out what a singularity is. But you know what? We know what it is, don't we? Because we have no problem understanding the supernatural. Do you realize your relationship with God is supernatural? It is a mathematical conundrum. Physicists cannot explain it. But you know it exists, don't you? How much gravity is in that black hole at the center of the galaxy? This is important, guys. This is kind of fun to talk about, but it's also important. 
because I, I want to establish just how important your relationship with God is. So there's so much gravity in that black hole that, as you probably know, light cannot escape it. Which is just kind of like, wait, wait, what? I shine flashlights all the time and it didn't fall to the ground. <laughs> How can gravity affect light? Well, it does. Gravity trumps light. And so if you're standing on the other side of the black hole, between us, like between, between me and you, Steve, you're on the other side of the, the A star and I'm on this side, between us is nothing, just an infinitely small speck. But I can't see you because your image, the light that is bouncing off of you and coming to me is just getting sucked right down into that singularity. And I can't see you. This is why they are black holes. Because <laughs> any light that goes near them just gets sucked in and it's just like a little little blank spot in space. And it's filled with, with nothing. I want you to realize that you're the same way that that black hole will trump light. Gravity will trump light. Your relationship with God will trump nature. It's proven by every miracle that happens. It's proven with every, with, with, with every blind man that gets healed when he climbed up a tree. It's proven by every axe head that floated up out of the bottom of the river. It's proven. Your relationship with God surpasses nature. It is a superior reality. You got reality, and then you got your relationship with God. And it trumps reality, and it can change reality. That's powerful. If you let your spouse get up in that God spot, you think you will have a singularity? No, there's not that kind of potential between a human relationship. There's only that kind of potential with the human-God relationship. You cannot risk losing that relationship because you wanted to have a few more date nights. Wait, Matt, you're the family pastor. I thought you told us to go on date nights. Yeah, go on date nights. Don't put it ahead of your God time. Let me bend your mind a little bit more. i got to take the coat off this thing. Every time I come over here to read my notes, i got to type in the number again. <clears throat> There's so much gravity. There's so much gravity in that black hole that it actually trumps time. This is National Geographic from uh, earlier this year, March 2014. You know, this is just a Holy Spirit find. I was just hanging out at work with one of my coworkers, and this was on his desk. I was like, look at that. And I start flipping through it, and I'm like, whoa, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I was like, man, this is, this is really powerful. I'm just going to read this to you. Time and black holes have a very strange relationship. Actually, time itself... Forgetting about black holes for a moment is an unusual concept. You probably know the phrase, time is relative. What this means is that time doesn't move at the same speed for everybody. Time, as Einstein discovered, is affected by gravity. If you place an extremely accurate clock on every floor of a skyscraper, they will all tick at different rates. It's nothing to do with the clocks. It's time. The clocks on the lower floors closer to the center of the earth where gravity is stronger will tick a little slower than the ones on the top floors. You'd never notice this because the variances are fantastically small, a spare billionth of a second here and there. 
did you realize this? I learned something. Clocks on global positioning satellites, the GPS satellites that talk to your car, they have to be set to tick slightly slower than on Earth's surface. They build those clocks to be inaccurate because when they get up in space, where time goes a little bit faster, they'll still be accurate with time on Earth's surface. That is crazy. That is crazy, right? How do they figure that out? That's crazy. If they didn't, the GPS wouldn't be accurate. Black holes, with their incredible gravitational pull, are basically time machines. So if our little old Earth can bend time a little bit, imagine what you know, the A star in the center of our galaxy can do. If you get on a rack rocket and you travel to the A star and you get really, really close to it, but you don't cross it, for every minute you spend there, a thousand years will pass on Earth. Quote, it's hard to believe, but that's what happens. Gravity trumps time. Is that not mind-boggling? That is mind-boggling. Do you know that your relationship with God trumps time? (laughs) Your relationship with God can trump time. I've heard stories, of, you know, this, is, this is stories of people traveling, ministers traveling from one meeting to another. This took place in Arizona. Kyle knows this person, or Kyle's dad knows this person or something. And they're going from one meeting to a next, and they're going over hills and up and down the hills and up and down the hills, and they're about three hours away. And in 30 minutes' time, they got to that town. They went up a hill, they went down a hill, they went up a hill, and they were there. How does that work? Because your relationship with God trumps time. Your relationship with God trumps history. It's proven. Abraham changed history because of his relationship with God. Changed history. Joseph, same thing. Moses, same thing. Changed history because he was close to God. David did it. Jesus, of course, did it. Paul did it. But you know what? It's not just in the Bible. Martin Luther did it. Martin Luther shifted history because he was close to God. You realize the boldness of Martin Luther to do what he did was not human boldness. That was God. That was him and God. It didn't stop with him. Go study the life of Smith Wigglesworth. Go study the life of Billy Graham. A little more familiar to us. These men changed history. The world would not look like it looks today if they hadn't gotten close to God. It's happening right now. Go look up what Reinhard Bonnke is doing. Go look up what Bill Johnson is doing. They are shaping the way our earth will look for the next several hundred years. Why? Because they're close to God. Because they manage the God spot really well. Because they have a singularity that is more important than anything else in their life. You've got to keep God in your God spot. Okay? What do you think your singularity can do? (laughs) Boy, the sky's the limit, isn't it? If you can trump the natural world and you can trump time itself, there's no telling what God will do with you. Unless you just kind of decide that you don't want to read the Bible today. Oh, you know, I don't really have time for worship. 
I got I got to listen to that Glenn Beck. Yeah? Is that not what happens? I'm just too I'm just too tired to think about the Bible right now. I, I you know I had a long day. I am mentally done. Bible will have to wait till tomorrow. What's happening to your singularity? This doesn't have much gravitational pull, does it? It means a lot to history, but it means a lot to your life that you keep that thing strong. Because remember, that thing is the one that's holding everything else in place. Next, outside of that, is your one. And if you're married, then it's really easy. Your one is your spouse. If you're not married, your one is your bestest, bestest friend in the world that you share everything with. Yeah, David and Jonathan. Naomi and Ruth. There you go. If you're not married and you're a guy, go study David and Jonathan. Go study their friendship. You need somebody like that in your life. If you're a woman and you're not married, go study Naomi and Ruth. Go study their friendship. You need somebody like that in your life. All right? The one is like the bulge in the Milky Way galaxy. Do you realize that that bulge is created by the gravitational pull of that singularity? Because what happens is there's all these stars and gas and dust, and it, and it, and it flies in toward that black hole, but it misses it, and then it gets flung out, right? Like imagine the sparks on a sharpening wheel, like you're sharpening an axe, and the sparks are just going... Now imagine that image in 360 degrees, three-dimensional, times a million. That is your relationship with your one. It is big, it is beautiful, it is glowing, it is brilliantly hot, and it is the center of your life. That's awesome. That, your one can only be created by the gravitational pull of you and God. If you're married, think about your spouse. Think about how you guys got together. Was it not like this magical set of interactions that you had no control over? And God just orchestrated this really cool like mixing, like two water droplets on a space shuttle just kind of spinning around. And then, nope, they come together. And God just worked it out for you that you would just marry your spouse. Man, a one is something incredible. And you have to protect it. Your one is not just at the top of your list. It's written so big that the rest of your list is like about the same size. That's the way the Milky Way galaxy looks. Look at a picture of the Milky Way galaxy. That big old bulge in the middle is like the size of the rest of it. No one comes between you and your one except God. Okay? No one gets to ask anything of you and expect something until your one is satisfied. Right? If you come up to me and you say, Matt, I really remember needing some time to spend with you. You know, let's go to lunch after church. And I'm going to say, hold up a second. Hey, how you feeling, babe? You doing okay? You want to go to lunch? You want to go home? You need a nap? <laughs> Guess what? You don't get to go to lunch with me because my wife needs a nap. No one comes between you and your one, okay? 
here's the tricky part. You're a minister. We talked about this. You're a minister, right? Your, your relationship with God comes before your relationship with your wife or with your, with your best friend. But the, the ministry that you do out of your relationship with God comes after your spouse, okay? Your relationship with God are, is these four things. Worship, prayer, reading the Bible, and meditation, quiet time. Notice in that list is not ministry. Ministry is not part of your relationship with God. It's not. It's something else. It's like a hobby almost. I mean, a little more important than a hobby. (laughs) We can't put ministry on the same level as indoor soccer, okay? (laughs) But you also can't put ministry ahead of your number one. Let me read you a story. This is Danny Silk. Danny Silk is the... uh, family pastor at Bethel Church in Redding, California. He's an absolute man of God. He's an absolute family man. He is basically the family apostle that, that oversees like a lot of stuff. Okay, He's big. If you don't know Danny Silk, I would recommend you pick up either this book, Keep Your Love On, or pick up his other first book, which is Loving Your Kids on Purpose. This guy knows how to run a godly family. And Belinda and I basically just just follow him pretty much everything. <laughs> we just do what Danny does. Here's a story from Danny. A lot of people depend on Danny. I get, I get to practice uh, telling people that I'm reading the book now. Quote, this is Danny Silk. Danny Silk says, I get to practice telling people what I'm going to do all the time. Everything from crisis situations to mild requests land in my voicemail on a regular basis. And I get to be as powerful as I, and I get to be powerful as I respond to them. You realize this guy lists his phone number in the phone book. You could go to the Reading phone book and find Danny Silk's phone number and just call him up, and you know what you'll get? His voicemail. Because <laughs> if your last name doesn't end with Silk or his daughter's ma- uh, married name, then you're not you're not getting through. And then he'll listen to your voicemail and decide if he wants to call you back or not. He's a powerful person. You don't mind listening to his cell phone number in the phone book. It doesn't mean you're going to have control over his life. As a result, he gets a lot of things on his voicemail, okay? For example, a while back I got a, I got a call from a guy at church. Pastor, it's George. My wife left me last night. She told me in a note on the fridge, I think she is serious this time. I need to see you right away. That sounds serious. Clearly, George was coming to me with a need that he thought I could meet, a need he felt was very urgent. However, the needs of others do not control my choices. My priorities do. As it happens, one of my priorities is helping people who are going through relational crises. So I knew I wanted to help George with his need, but I also had to balance that priority with my other priorities. I had already told my son that I would play basketball with him that evening that George called me. The next day was our family day. Family always takes precedence over ministry in my life. So I made a choice. I would wait till I could look at my calendar in two days and see what I had open for George and call him back. Two days later, calendar ready, I made the call. Hey there, George, I'm calling you back. How are you doing? Good Lord, came the distressed voice on the other end. Were you sick or in the hospital? It took you two days to get back in touch with me. No, George, actually I was playing basketball with my son. 
The game went long, and I needed, then needed to spend time with my family. So what can I do for you? I don't know, but I need to get in and see you. I have to come see you. Can I come in right now? Well, you can come in anytime you want. I will be glad to meet with you on the 19th of this month. The 19th? That's like two weeks away. I know. But you're a pastor. I have to see you right now. I just need five minutes. Well, I have an hour for you on the 19th. That is uh, what I will do for you. But the note said she won't come back until I see you. Probably so. <laughs> I will let you finish this conversation with my assistant who can help you set up the meeting on the 19th. Goodbye. I never told George what he could or could not do. He didn't. He told me he could come in any time, didn't he? I told him what I would do without making excuses, apologies, or any attempts to convince him that my choice was right. I didn't need him to like the choice or agree with it. I didn't care if he was offended by it. I simply laid my offer on the table and left him to consider it. This is what it looks like to let powerful choices communicate boundaries to people. You gotta, you gotta protect the boundaries in your life, am I right? Somebody else's wife leaving them does not justify you giving up your basketball game with your son. You, your choices can't be dictated by other people's crisis. This is not being mean. This is not being selfish. This is protecting yourself so that your world doesn't collapse on you. I, I, I ran a ministry once. It was the very first ministry I ever run. I was like 20 years old. It was a homeless ministry. Uh, we called it Triple H, Helping the Homeless to Heaven. Also happened to be the name of a professional wrestler at the time. So, okay. We went out the first week, and, and I, I, we went by a McDonald's, and I talked to the manager. I said, hey, we're going to go out and minister to the homeless. Dude, would you mind donating some hamburgers for us you know, to hand out food or whatever? And he's like, you know, okay, if, if you promise to come back you know, to give me your tax information so I, you know, I can claim this stuff, but I'll be, I'll be happy to work with you. He gave us like two dozen hamburgers, and we went out to minister. That was the first week. It was great, man. We walked around down by Northwest Highway. We found some homeless people. We talked to them about Jesus. It was fantastic. Uh, gave away some hamburgers, prayed with some people, you know, saw some tears, got into people's hearts. Oop. The next week, I had an emergency I could not do. It. I, you know, it's so random to start a ministry. You do it one week, and the very next week you can't do it. But that's what it was. Uh, I, I couldn't make it. My friends said, oh, don't worry, Matt. We'll go out. We'll minister to homeless. No problem, man. I find out. They put up some people in like a hotel room, spent like $200 to give them a room for the week and stuff. I'm like, you know what happened? The whole ministry collapsed because nobody wanted to sacrifice anymore. Nobody wanted to come and volunteer because they all thought they were going to have to give up 200 bucks every week to put some homeless person in a hotel room. There was no boundaries. The entire ministry collapsed. I couldn't get anybody to volunteer because it was just like, oh, it's just too much, it's just too much. This is what happens when you don't protect yourself. Things don't go well. All right, after the one, Jesus had the three. And his three were James, Peter, and John. One of those, John, 
was charged by Jesus on the cross to replace him as Mary's son. That's close. That's close. He said, woman, this is your son. Man, this is your mother. Who do you know in your life that you would, on your deathbed, pass off your role as a son or daughter? You have somebody that close, they belong in your three. <laughs> they belong in your three. Peter. Peter, Jesus entrusted Peter to carry on the, the job of building the kingdom. Jesus said, look, here's my life's work of establishing the kingdom of God. Peter, you take it. Do you know somebody that you're so close to that you would take your life's work and just hand it to them and say, you keep, you keep going with this. I'm a writer. I like to write a lot. I have probably a half dozen unfinished stories right now. And I'm a painter. I have probably a couple, of, you know, maybe, maybe three to six unfinished paintings uh, right now. Do I know somebody close enough that I would say, hey, listen, I got to go meet the Father. Mark, I want you to finish my books for me and also finish my paintings for me. I trust you. Boy, do you have anybody that close to you? They need to be one of your three. James was right there. He was one of the first disciples picked out by Jesus. Him and John and Peter were the first ones, and, uh, or among the first ones. James was there with John and Peter whenever they witnessed Jesus' transfiguration. Like he got up into his glory body. <laughs> it's like the only three people got to see that. James was one of them. James was with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry right up to the end. Who do you know that has been with you your entire walk with God? That person needs to be in your three. If you have somebody that close, they need to be in your three. Look, your three, that's about identity. These are the people that God will put into your life to help mold you into what he wants you to be. Right? Like we're the soft clay, and he is the potter, and his hands are these three people. Iron sharpens iron. These people are going to be the ones to shape you into what God wants you to be. So you've got to be careful with the three that you pick because it's an identity thing. God wants to use them to make you. Okay? What happens if you don't have them? What happens if you're like, man, I just couldn't, I just couldn't find a three. I can only find a one. So I got a one and a one. And then I just got like some extra people on the outside. Your identity is at risk. Here's what you're risking by not having three people that are that close to you. You're risking that you will not have good personal development. You're risking that your heavenly identity will get warbled up and washed and washed. None of that is English. <laughs> yeah? And you're, you're, um, you're risking something else that's in my notes. Anyways, it's really important that you have three people that close. Okay, let's move on. The five. Oh, here. That's right. You're risking loneliness by multitude. 
if you don't have close, close friends. How many of you guys know somebody like this? Like they're like, I don't have a close, close friends. I just got like kind of close friends and a whole bunch of them. They're at risk to be lonely by multitude. And you've got to have those three people that are just so close to you so that you don't become lonely. Even in the midst of knowing a bunch of people, you can be lonely. You don't want to risk that. Make sure you have three people that are that close to you. Okay, your, here's what I call them. Your top five. List your top five, and then I call it your trusted seven. And these two are very close. Uh, and you know what? What's going to happen with your five and your seven is people are going to switch back and forth uh, you know, all the time. And, and your singularity with God is going to orchestrate that. And sometimes somebody may be in your seven and they just kind of drift farther away because whatever, you moved to Washington, <laughs> right? But you know what's going to happen is your singularity is going to spark a new relationship that you could put in your seven. You, you realize what happens is in the Milky Way galaxy, right, th that gas and dust that we talked about earlier that's flinging around and creating your one, sometimes what will happen is that it'll fling a gas that shoots straight out to the outer edge of the galaxy, I mean trillions of miles, long gas that just got shot straight out from the center. And you know what happens? All that material goes out there, and it forms a new sun. It forms a new star out there. And this is what happens with you and God. Your singularity with God is like a fountain of youth for, for uh, uh, relationships. You come in to know people, and, and he's orchestrated it. He's put it all together for you to know the people that you know. Okay, So he'll work out. Uh, uh, making sure that you have good people in your five and in your seven. He'll take care of that. These people serve a purpose. Generally speaking, your top five are going to be where you get all of your like worldly knowledge, right? Like where you get your news, where you learn how to do your job better, you know, like how you keep up with Liverpool transfer news. You know? <laughs> your top five, they're going to they're gonna be the ones that you just kind of stay in touch with everything that's going on. You learn how to run your personal finances, you know, all these kind of things. Your top seven serve much the same purpose as your top five, but maybe you're not getting as much mentorship or giving as much mentorship, okay? All of these people are important. Why? Because they keep a smile on your face. These are the people in your life that keep you, like, full of joy and just happy to go through your day, you know? I mean, I know that your joy comes from the Lord. That, that's, that's granted. That's granted. Uh, but sometimes you need a laugh, <laughs> you know? Sometimes you just need a good, like, joke, right? Like, I have the joy of the Lord, but really, man, I just got to hear a joke right now. <laughs> Make me laugh. Do that thing you do. <laughs> you got to have these people in your life. You got to be smiling. You're five and you're seven. Here's how you pick your top five. You just list your top five people. Top five favorite people, list them. Man, I love these people. I get to interact with them all the time. Usually somebody in your top five needs to be a coworker. You know, maybe one or two people in that 12 that you need to have them at work with you. Because you're, you're giving 40 hours a week to your work. You got to have somebody close, a friend that you're working with. If you don't have a work environment where you have somebody in your five or seven, you know what's going to happen? You're going to quit. I guarantee you, sooner or later, you'll be like, I don't like this job. I'm out of here. Because you don't have any friends there. Uh, you need to have people in your top five in your that you trust. You trust their knowledge. 
right? You trust uh, their maturity level, yeah? You trust their talent. You, you, you trust them. If you start just having somebody in your top seven because they make you laugh, how many of you ever heard your mom say you are who your friends are? So be careful who you put in your top five and in your top seven. Okay? Now listen. You've got to look at those lines. You've got to look at those circles. Those are boundaries. Okay? You don't give time to your top seven whenever you haven't spent some good time with your top five. You don't spend time with your top five friends until you've spent good time with your closest three. And you don't give time to your closest three until your number one is filled up. They got to be filled up. They got to have everything they want or need from you until you start going outside. You've got to pay attention to those lines. If you start giving all your time to the sevens and the nines, what happens to the sinner is they start becoming distant. They're not as close to you. I don't know you anymore, man. We haven't hung out for like a month. That's what we were talking about yesterday. Like, if I only see you once every month, I don't know if that's something wrong with you. Maybe that's just how you look. <laughs> that's what Steve told me. Maybe that's just how you look. <laughs> but it's true. You start giving all your time to all of these just acquaintances, then your closest friends don't even know you anymore. And you know what they become? Acquaintances. And if all you have is a whole bunch of acquaintances, you, my friend, are a hollow shell. And you will collapse. And it will be a fray of people just, mine, 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 mine. Come on, dude, you haven't been bowling with us in like three months. Come on. Mine, 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 mine. And your destiny will be lost. You got to protect your rings. All right, just a couple of closing thoughts. Never preaching with this password on again. If you think that there aren't people in the world who want intimacy with you, like you're like, Matt, I don't have a bunch of mine, 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 mines coming at me. You might want to think about if you're actually ministering to people. If you're being Christ-like and you're showing his love, and you're opening up to people about the word and talking about your faith, man, people like that will come out of the woodwork. Everybody is, there's so many lost people in this world, and every single one of them are craving intimacy with somebody who knows God. I'm going to repeat that. There is a lot of lost people in this world, and every single one of them is craving intimacy with somebody who knows God. If you don't have a bunch of mind, mind, minds going on, you've got to get out and talk about Jesus. All right? Again, these boundaries are not designed just to keep you at home. I, I am the hugest advocate of home time. I call it, I call it the most valuable time. Uh, uh, what do I call it? Anyways, it's really important. Let's see if you guys are paying attention. There's a time value proposition, right? It's how much time do I spend on this and how much is it worth to me to spend my time on it. And there is no more valuable time value proposition than you being at home. I'm a huge advocate of home time, okay? 
But don't use these boundaries as an excuse to stop ministering to people. You've got to get out and help people. These boundaries are meant to protect your growth, your identity, your joy, and your destiny. Let's repeat those things together. Your destiny. destiny. That's your singularity. God is going to protect your destiny. Your growth. That's your five. They're going to give you all the mentorship and stuff that you need to grow. Your identity. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Your identity. That's your three. They're going to protect the way that God is molding you. And lastly, your joy. That's all your 12 out there. They're the ones who keep a smile on your face. These boundaries are meant to protect those four things. Don't use them to get out of your work. All right? Okay, last thing, protecting these layers can be touchy. You're going to have to tell somebody no. You're going to have to tell somebody no. But look here, if Danny Silk can tell a guy whose wife just left him no, I think you can tell some people no as well. And it may be hard. Here's the key. If you're going to have to tell somebody, look, you're not that close to me. I can't give you the time that you're asking for because there's other people who are close to me who need that time. Maybe you don't put it that bluntly. Maybe you do. But here's the key. You've got to speak with love, and you've got to speak with respect. Okay? Love and respect will just prime that message to be able just to sink right in their heart, and they will understand it. All right? We had a men's fellowship yesterday, and a Nick texted us, Hey, man, hey, fellas, I won't be there. i got to spend time with my wife. Perfect. Picture perfect. I text him back, hey, man, I understand you got to spend time with your wife. I want you to know these men's fellowships are super important, right? We're trying to protect the infrastructure of our church, which is our relationships, and these men's fellowships are super vital for keeping us accountable. I want you to know that they're really important. Have a really good time with your wife. Nick was a powerful person. He didn't even, he didn't feel like he had to justify spending time with his wife. I'm one of, I'm one of Nick's closest friends, and he's one of mine. He had no problem telling me, look here, I don't got time for you. (laughs) Speak with love, speak with respect, and as you're putting these boundaries in place, people will honor them. Don't bend. Do not bend. Because as much as you try to speak with love and respect, your actions are going to speak even louder. And if you say, no, I don't have time for that, but then you start going off and giving your time to somebody else who doesn't deserve it, well, it's going to break the whole system, isn't it? Okay, guys, this stuff is important. I want you to take this to heart. I want you to apply it to your life. Uh, This isn't just important for people who, who are ministers and in leadership. This is important for every single person who is a person. If you are a person, this is important to you, all right, because you have a destiny, You have something that God is trying to protect and grow and cultivate within you. And this is the way that he wants to make sure that you're protected. All right? All right, let's let's pray, and then we'll have time where you can come to the front, you can pray in your chairs, and you can stick around in fellowship. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much for um, just revealing yourself, revealing your heart, uh, revealing your ideas. You're never a God who holds back um, what you're thinking. And I thank you for that, Father. And you've shown us the things in our lives that we need to change. 
you've shown us the things in our lives that we need to uh, do a better job of organizing. You've shown us ways that we can protect certain relationships one way and protect other relationships another way. And all of this uh, from you, Father, is, is exactly what we need. And I, and I just pray, Lord, that the things that you spoke into people's hearts today would stick. And it would really stick. And if people don't remember me jabbering on about black holes, that's fine. As long as they remember what you said, Father. So take this time, Lord. We just welcome you, and we're just going to give you the time you need to really make this stuff sink into our hearts. Uh, we welcome Holy Spirit to uh, shine a light on uh, areas that we might have missed, that we might not have thought about. And Lord, we trust in your word. We trust in the blood of Christ. And all of our hope for a good, happy, powerful, effective life is in you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, come on up to the front if you, if you need prayer for anything, whether it's healing, uh, uh, physical healing, emotional healing, financial healing, any sort of thing that this needs to be fixed in your life, come on up, let's pray. I invite you to just stick around in your chairs for a few minutes just, just to have some quiet time with God and uh, just let this stuff sink in, okay? We love you guys. I love seeing every single one of your faces. I try to look around and talk to everybody because you're all beautiful. And uh, we hope to see you again next week, okay?